Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. This is Jason Horsley for the New Books Network. Today I'm talking to the author William Blum about his 2015 release, America's Deadliest Export, Democracy, The Truth About U.S. Foreign Policy and Everything Else, which was released from Zed Books. This is specifically uh, to introduce people to your, I think it's your most recent book, America's Deadliest Export, Democracy, the Truth About U.S. Foreign Policy and Everything Else. Um, So if you wouldn't mind just speaking a little bit about the book and what it's about, just to give listeners a general idea of what we'll be discussing. Well, it's, it's, uh, for the most part, it's a collection of essays of mine over the past 10, 12 years, I was sending out each month a, a, a report called the Anti-Empire Report. And I did that for 12 years. And uh, each, each report had about four or five different essays in it, mostly concerning U.S. foreign policy. So the book deals mainly with U.S. foreign policy. But it deals with many other subjects as well. And... and I I think uh, the selection is such that it will be very interesting for for the reader because it it it's, it focuses and and it homes in on various things in, in short short essays so it's 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 it's, a, it's an easy read. Yeah, I, I would second that. I, I, I'm not really very politically well informed, but um, I'm familiar with many of the the subject much of the subject matter that you discuss. And I, I found it very, very easy to read, very very punchy and persuasive. And one of the things that struck me was that, although you're not shy about expressing your opinion throughout the book, most of it is, is, is simply the facts that you're reporting, and then, then, then although they're facts that aren't generally well known or reported, they are out there. You didn't have to uh, speculate or theorize. You're simply reporting the facts about America's foreign policy in a way that I imagine would be quite disturbing to many people, not to myself, because I've never had any illusions, I don't think, about America. Uh, One of the things that occurred to me, really in the boldest terms, what you're describing in this book, well, let me make it a question. Well, did you think it's fair to say that America with its foreign policy, is the most destructive nation in history? I, w- I would say so, yes. That may shock the average American to hear that, but the, the record is uh, indisputable. Uh, we have overthrown 
more than 50 foreign governments. We have attempted to assassinate more than 50 foreign leaders. We have bombed more than 35 countries, and we have interfered in the elections in dozens of countries. And that's just a sample. Uh, it's, it's an amazing record when it's, when it's summed up. Yeah, well, that's very much my point, that you're just putting it all together between two covers. Right. Um, it's really kind of irrefutable. And towards the end of the book, you you mentioned something which I've also heard elsewhere, which is American people are, uh, are the most propagandized in the world. You use the term indoctrinated. If one is to measure the degree of brainwashing of a particular population, if one has to measure that, uh, that, that amount of brainwashing by the gap between what a people believe about their, their country and their government and what their country and their government have actually done, based on that measurement, the American people are, are easily the most brainwashed in the world. Uh, they, they have no, no idea. The majority of Americans have no idea of what I'm talking about when I say these things. It's just been kept from them, not not uh, hidden by the government, but it's it's available. I mean, I couldn't, I don't have any special secret access to the information, but I just I put it together, and you can see how the American media, the mass media, has just failed to either to report on things or to put things in context. A good media reminds its readers of the background of current events, and it's that background which is not reminded of that uh, leads to the brainwashing of the American people. Right. Well, um, that's actually what I found more disturbing or more upsetting reading the book than actually the information about Americans' foreign policy, which, as I say, wasn't, didn't really come as surprises me. But just how much it drove home that gulf, that, that people still maintain this idea of Amer Americans, at least, this idea of America as being a well-intentioned de democratic force for good in the world. I think less and less. Uh, and well, that's one of the things that you zero in on that, yeah. Uh, is the, the first illusion that needs to go <laughs> before being able to see, begin to see the truth is this illusion that American leaders and policies are well-intentioned. So right. do you want to talk about that a bit in terms of what, what are they, if not well, what is the intention that is hidden behind these, uh, the, the illusion of, of spreading democracy? Yeah. The basic intention is world domination. That may surprise many people, but it's it shouldn't. It's been going on. You can date it back to to at least the 1890s when we invaded Mexico and gobbled up about an area of Mexico, which led to about six or seven new American states. Uh, but even before then, well, actually, that was that was in the 1820s. In the 1890s, we had the invasion of uh, the Philippines, and which brought us Cuba and Puerto Rico and, and elsewhere. Uh, that was an, another stepping stone in this record, if you want to follow the push for world domination. But 
since the, the end of the Second World War, has has that has been the main time period of American world domination, and that's what my my most of my writing deals with since the Second World War. Because I I couldn't deal with all of it; it was just too much. So my my books deal mainly with U.S. foreign policy, beginning in 1945 or six. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of writing now that refers to the deep state and even terms like shadow government. And but your your book doesn't really get into that and doesn't use that term. I mean, you do talk about the CIA and a certain amount of uh, cloak and dagger stuff. But essentially, as I say, you're really just mapping what's out there in the in the mainstream news, but that's being constantly spun. I mean, what do you think about the idea of the deep state and that this is secret machinations? I'm, I'm not as conspiracy-minded as many writers on the left are. I'm, I mean, I'm not in any way anti-conspiracy. I mean, the, the world is full of conspiracies. Uh, Watergate was a conspiracy. The, the, the attempt to hide Watergate was a conspiracy. The Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor was a conspiracy while, 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 while they were meeting with American officials to talk of peace. Nine, September 11th was a conspiracy on the part of certain, on the part of whomever did that. So I'm not, I'm not in any way anti-conspiracy, but I think many people, many writers on the left really overdo this idea. They, they, they think everything which happens in U.S. foreign policy is just a cover for something else. They use this expression, false flag, that we and the U.S. government and the media attempt to state that such and such events were carried out by such and such a a, a country or or such and such a a group of terrorists from, from from the Middle East or what have you, and and these false flag people that I speak of, they. They insist again and again that it's not what it seems. I, 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 I tend to shy away from that. Not, not that I'm opposed in principle. I wish they could prove their case better than they, than they do. Hmm. I, I'm, taken, I'm attacked a lot by the left because I don't fully embrace the conspiracies stated behind 9-11. They, they don't think that the official version... Uh, is it all true? Well, I, 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 I'm fully aware of all the errors uh, and, and, the, and the very questionable statements in the official version of the events of 9-11. I don't think it was an inside job, which is what they call it. They mm-hmm. think the U.S. government arranged for those planes to, to crash into those buildings just to have the, the excuse to continue their world imperialism, but to me that's really overdoing the case. I mean, they didn't have to destroy three buildings and kill thousands of people. They, they could have achieved their goal with just destroying one building and, and a thousand people, just as one example. I think they really overdo their case. Anyway, they, they've attacked me a lot because I don't accept their, their view fully. Although I'm fully aware of all the errors and the shortcomings of the official government version of what happened on 9/11. Uh, that's mm. a separate question. I think one of the one of the points about the, the magnitude of 9/11 was that it needed to be on that scale as a kind of 
shock and awe, traumatization of the collective that would then uh, create the ensuing emotional reaction so that people wouldn't be able to think clearly. But but anyway, without without getting drawn into that particular and, and precisely for that reason, I think it's such a hot topic that it's it's very difficult for people to talk kind of in a balanced way about it. Um, and this is one of the things that that I have noticed. Uh, in general in, the, in these areas is that there's a polarization that serves the interests of the ruling classes is to keep people polarized who might otherwise be allies and it's particularly around conspiracy in that there's, there seem to be extremes that, that aren't able to meet when in fact the truth maybe is somewhere in between and there's something you touch on in your book which is that you're talking about the media and the way in which the media is uh, manipulates the truth and distorts the truth, which of course is undeniable, and your your book makes a strong case for it. But you 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 suggest that there's no real need to speculate conspiracy in the normal sense because the system itself of the media and beyond has been set up in such a way that it's self-regulating, and 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 the public has been so indoctrinated since childhood that yeah. uh, the the government has a very captive audience, even without gross exaggeration or, or, or gross lies, they, they, when it comes to foreign policy at least, they can count upon the support of the American people uh, time and time again. Um, you, you mentioned the false flag thing, and I know you, you, you mentioned it in a skeptical context, but it, it did uh, remind me of Operation Gladio, which you talk about in your book, and I, I just thought it might be worth zeroing on on that briefly at least because so many Americans and otherwise people don't are not even aware of Operation Gladio and it just seems that it's it's an extremely relevant portion yeah. of history that has, that began in shortly after the end of World War Two when NATO was being set up NATO and the CIA together are combined to carry out all kinds of terrorist acts, including the murders and bombings all over Europe, just to, 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 to put the onus on, on the communists in Europe. The, the, the threat to the West, to NATO and the U.S. and the U.K., was the, and mainly in France and in Italy. The Communist Party in, in France and Italy were in a, in a very strong position. They, they, they were a definite threat to take power in this country, not with any violence, through elections. And that would have been a very horrible thing for the West. Because we, we, we were all taught this for decades that communists cannot take power anywhere except through armed force or, or deception or, or, or not, 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 not through elections. And in Italy and France, the Communist Party threatened to take power simply through honest elections, and this was unacceptable to Washington and to London and, and Paris. And uh, NATO, the, members of NATO staged all kinds of terrorist acts in, in Western Europe, which they knew would be blamed on the communists, and that's what happened. They, they, the communists were blamed, and it's amazing what they carried out. I can't go into detail, but... Your, your, your listeners can do a search on Operation Gladio, G-L-A-D-I-O, which is mm-hmm. a, an Italian for sword. It's an amazing story. 
Have you uh, done much current research into ISIS and the evidence that for being a U.S. proxy army in a similar fashion? Well, it's not quite as clear as as with NATO. I mean, the, 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 there have been many connections between the U.S. and other Western nations and ISIS, but it's I, it's not quite as simple as with NATO or, or Gladio. We we have. The U.S. has been more concerned with overthrowing the government of of Syria than it was with fighting ISIS, and mm-hmm. that has led to all kinds of bad outcomes. Uh, mm-hmm. It's still going on. They, they, they still we, we still refuse to work with Russia to fight ISIS together uh, in, in, in a total all-out war. I mean, that's, the only way we're going to beat or defeat ISIS is with Russia and the U.S., the two most powerful nations in the world, combining their forces and just smashing these horrible people, smashing them down once and for all. Uh, And the U.S. government has a very, very hard time in joining forces with Russia of anything. And, And that's we're in a new Cold War, and that's that's in the nature of the, of the Cold War. Uh, it's really a shame. Turkey, which was just had this horrible bombing, they have been helping ISIS in various ways. It's, I, I'm not really sure why they would be attacked by ISIS that, as much as they have been, but Turkey has been buying oil from ISIS for a long time and treating ISIS soldiers in Turkish hospitals. Just just two examples of the way Turkey uh, works with ISIS, and Turkey is a member of NATO. So the role of the West in fighting ISIS the past few years has been very, very mixed and very dishonest. And and, uh, the U.S. just cannot bring itself to join with Russia in a a final all-out campaign against these monsters. Yeah, I, I, I mean, as I say, I'm not terribly well informed, but the subject of ISIS did come up for myself in a heated argument with somebody, and I'd said, oh, well, didn't you know it was the US's proxy force? And he was like, what are you talking about? So uh, so I looked into it a bit more, and there was um, actually a public admission by a, a US uh, or a, a US document that says the Pentagon foresaw the likely rise of the Islamic State as a direct consequence of its strategies. Oh yeah, I mean, we're, we're, U.S. foreign policy is responsible for the rise of ISIS. Uh, what it did in Iraq, in Afghanistan, in in Libya, and in Syria, those four places set the stage for uh, ISIS. And mm. the person who 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 appears to to be, will be our next president, her hands are full of blood for those places. She she was a leading cause of the invasion of Libya in 2011, and she supported the attack against Iraq and against Syria, uh, and she has a lot, a lot to explain. I, I, I'm I, not too pleased at the prospect of her being the next president. Well, it does seem to be a long-term 
policies, long-term strategies that can be observable in terms of the results and even, uh, I mean, and that could easily get mistaken for conspiracy theories just by mapping the ways in which these things... Uh, well, the U.S. is conspiring to dominate the world, so that, that's the basic conspiracy behind all these things. They, they, everything, uh, if, if you want to dominate the world, you, you do all kinds of things which fall under that heading, so that's you can call it all a conspiracy. Yeah. And I think in the most general and the widest sense, and you touch, you hint at this in your book, that if, if America, the empire, benefits from, as always, the other, uh, having a, un, uh, a defined but somewhat undefined enemy constantly to pit itself against and, uh, you know, uh, fortify itself in battle with, then um, it benefits from terrorism from having a terrorist threat and even without directly creating it as some people theorize you could certainly see the ways in which it's indirectly created a terrorist threat simply through its foreign policy and rendition in Guantanamo Bay and all the rest of it creating future generations of extremely angry Muslims and other people who, who are that much more inclined to actually rally their forces and become a genuine threat yeah, and, and the U.S. economy is a, 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 a war economy. You have all these military uh, corporations, defense corporations, who, who benefit uh, to a large extent from America's wars. And the, 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 these forces, they advocate for war. That's one reason we, we go to war so often. You have this entire military and industrial complex just who, who don't mind war. It's not them or, or, their, or their sons who are dying in it, and they, they, they we have a war economy and and the, the a war society and a war mentality, and it keeps on going. And this Mrs. Clinton is is a a warrior of the first order. She she likes wars. She she has advocated for many, so it's going to get even worse. One of the things you say in the book is. I'm paraphrasing is that war is America's religion, and it occurs to me also that the term Americanism is quite unique. There isn't the equivalent for any other nationality, I don't think, like Frenchism or Englishism, <laughs> you know. So, so it's like nationalism is is it? Yeah, it's this desire to dominate the world and to. And have wars continuously. That stems in large measure from our what we call American exceptionalism. The, right. the, the American people really believe that stuff. They, they really believe that we are very exceptional, and and that we have a right to go to war and and fight for this or that, and that we're on the right side. So it's it's not difficult to brainwash the American people when, when they start with such a basis of understanding of their, of their country and, and the world. That's what they're taught from childhood on, and uh, they, they, they really believe that we are exceptional. Mm. It's, this, it's this idea that America somehow is carrying the torch of the highest possible human value right. that just justifies everything else. So it seems as though it's a conscious or unconscious justification 
for the war engine itself, the, the ideological appara- you know, um, uh, justification for it is, is, is what fuels the war engine. It actually reminds me of the... <laughs> I, I don't know if you ever watched Star Trek, but you know the way that the Starship Enterprise every week it had this code of n- the non-interference was its first imperative or d- d- prime directive was non-interference, and yet every week it would land on a new planet and... and proceed to systematically interfere with that culture because it, it, it knew that its own values were, were superior to the culture that it invaded. It oh, well, you know, I'm, not, I'm not familiar with, with that, 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 that program, but uh, it sounds very familiar uh, now to, to, to U.S. foreign policy, yes. Yeah, well, you actually mentioned at the beginning how space is the, the final frontier of the war machine and how that's... Oh, yeah, okay, yeah, well, but that was not sci-fi space stuff that was well I guess we can put it that way yeah I, I wasn't thinking of, of Star Trek but but that it's a fact that we, we aim to dominate uh, space as well as Earth and that's, that's been stated very clearly in papers put out by the Pentagon yeah, yeah it's not talked about much because I mean there's a growing sort of um, revival of interest in Colonizing space lately, but it's almost never, if ever, talked about in terms of military uh, superiority. Oh, but the, the, the Pentagon talks about it in, the, in those terms. I, I I quote some of them. I think in my book, that's they, they're they're not shy about saying that. Absolutely, but I mean, in terms of the public opinion, the public perception of why we would go into space, it's not generally seen as yeah. as just you know uh, extending the the war machine. Um, you mentioned you, you you talked about uh, how things are only going to get worse with with Hillary Clinton. I imagine. I mean, I totally agree, but I imagine it must be quite hard for yourself, not to mention thousands of other people who grew up in the '60s. And there was a time where it seemed as though the tide might turn, and of course, we now know it didn't. Um, and I was struck by quote from Doug, General Douglas MacArthur, who's not really anyone's idea of a liberal or a progressive voice, but uh, in, co- in contrast with today, I'll read the quote, he said, uh, our government has kept us in a perpetual state of fear, kept us in a continuous stampede of patriotic fervor with the cry of grave national emergency. Always there has been some terrible evil at home or some monstrous foreign power that was going to gobble us up if we did not blindly rally behind it by furnishing the exorbitant funds demanded. Yet in retrospect, these disasters never seem to have happened, never seem to have been quite real. Well, that was in 1957, and uh, it's pretty damn hard to imagine Rumsfeld or some anyone equivalent saying anything with yeah. even a whiff of that in today's environment. Yeah, right. Sometimes even people like MacArthur can let something slip out which is not in line with the with the rest of their statements and and, and philosophy. So, do do you still tour with your books, or did did you ever tour, or did you just write them and send them out there? Well, I I I, I have been invited to speak in various places. I don't I don't tour with the book. I talk I tour as a speaker. Uh, and and I've spoken in America uh, or elsewhere, or primarily in America. Oh, I've spoken abroad many times in, in Europe, but my 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 days of touring are a bit over. I have had some health problems, so I, I really can't be touring. So, what was the most recent uh, tour that you did? Well, not a tour. I mean, I'm, I'm invited to make individual talks. Speaking, yeah. Yeah, that's not um, a tour. 
I, when I, I go to one place and then come home. Right. But I, that's, I've done that many, many, many times. Uh, I mean, the reason I'm asking, I'm just curious, in terms of the climate that you are greeted by and uh, how, how open people are to, to hearing this, whether they're becoming more open or less open. or I can't, I haven't spoken anywhere in, in about a year or two. But of course, those who attend to talk by me are already uh, on, on my side for the most part. Although in, 19, in 2006, when Osama bin Laden named me and, and one of my books, and I, I became a certain celebrity, when I, that caused a big story, and I was on, I was on the mass media here mm-hmm. then quite a few times, including CNN and, and NBC and CBS, something which, which normally wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. But uh, bin Laden made me into an instant celebrity, and when I went to speak, uh, to speak in person elsewhere, I had much bigger crowds than usual. And mm-hmm. some hostile with some hostile questions, uh, but that was, that was actually fun. I enjoyed mm-hmm. that. You mentioned that in the book, and you also mentioned that later on that you had trouble getting speaking gigs because of the Bin Laden connection. Is that true? Because of his invitation, I've been effectively banned from the U.S. college campuses, which had been my main source of, of speaking invitations until then. Because you were endorsed by Bin Laden. Of course, I can just see what happened. There. You know, when some student group invites me to speak, and yeah. and they pass on the invitation to some the the proper committee on campus, and this committee perhaps they haven't heard of me, and they do they do a Google on my name, and one of the mm. things that comes up is Osama Bin Laden, and that that I, that has caused quite a few invitations to to not to to be withdrawn so i haven't had uh, i haven't had any college speaking engagements in quite a few years uh, can we uh wind up put a close to yeah, yeah i i have i have health problems like i can't i i get very tired yeah that's fine could you just i want to let me mention my website for people uh it's william bloom uh, dot O-R-G and Bloom is B-L-U-M And is there anything that you're working on now, Bill, that you could just tell us briefly about? No. I'm working on my health. Okay. I'm, I expect to have a a kidney transplant in the near future. Great. Well, b- b- best of luck with that. I hope you go to the right hospital, get the right care, and appreciate you taking the time today. You're very welcome. And uh, it was a great book. I'm really glad that I read it, and I would recommend it to any people still naive enough to think that America is a force of good in the world. Okay, thank you very much.